0: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. Thanks so much for being here. Today's topic is going to be stand-up comedy. And uh, as you probably know by now, uh, I am not a stand-up comedian, nor did I ever have any desire to be a stand-up comedian. I used to love stand-up comedians when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, back when I was a teenager, we lived in Los Angeles, and my father worked at a crappy radio station in L.A., And the Riviera Hotel in Las Vegas would make a trade deal with the station. The station would play ads for the Riviera Hotel, and my dad would get a free ride at the hotel. But it was always in August, okay? You know, when it's a thousand degrees in Las Vegas, you know, they're not going to let Our family go in December when High Rollers are there. But, you know, in August, what the hell? The rooms are empty anyway. So we can have a couple of, you know, schmucks from an L.A. radio station swing by. But it also meant that there weren't big headliners in August. You never saw Sinatra. You never saw the Rat Pack performing in August. They were always in eh, December and March, whenever, but just not August. But comedians would fill the bill. And it was great for me because I got a chance to watch all of these great comedians like Jack Benny. I saw Jack Benny live. Uh, Danny Thomas, a name that probably means nothing to a lot of people. But uh, those of a certain age, Danny Thomas was big. Bob Newhart. I saw Bob Newhart when he was still a young and upcoming comic. I also saw uh, Corbett Monica and Shecky Green, who was incredibly funny. A lot of comedians of that era. Never got a chance to see Rickles, though. and never got a chance to see Buddy Hackett, both of whom were supposed to be so amazing. But I loved comedy, and I loved studying these guys, but I never had the desire to do stand-up comedy. I'm more of a behind-the-scenes guy or radio guy. So as we flash forward throughout my career, I did wind up doing improv, but not stand-up. And then in 1982, the first year of Cheers, it was, I think, like the fourth episode, and uh, the warm-up guy called in sick like about two hours before we're supposed to film. And Les Charles said to me, you were a disc jockey once, right? And I said, yeah. And he says, okay, congratulations. You're the warm-up guy tonight. I wound up doing warm-up for the entire year. And I also did warm-up for the very last episode of Cheers, which was pretty cool. And I had about a three, four-minute routine to start, but I was Basically, in a funny way, telling the audience what they were about to see and what the whole process was. And still, I didn't feel like I was a stand-up comic because the audience was there to see Cheers not to see me, but they were happy to see me because I was the warm-up guy. It's not like they're sitting in a club and some guy gets on stage who they've never seen before, they know nothing about, and it's like, well, who is this guy? Let's let's see how funny this idiot is. So I did warm-up And also when I was doing baseball, there was a period of time when I would go off and do banquets. And the same thing that people who came to the banquets were there to see me, so they knew who I was, and they were accepting. I wasn't just some new guy at the Elks Club, and for those appearances— I would do about five minutes of baseball stories about the team and that sort of thing and uh, and then I would primarily take questions from the audience, so that was the extent of my stand up career and Then, when I started this podcast way back in two thousand and seventeen, I thought one time for a stunt it would be kind of fun to do a stand-up routine and record it and then play it back on the podcast completely unedited. So even if it bombed, you would hear me bombing. But I thought, okay, this is going to be kind of a fun thing to do. And one of the other members of my improv workshop is a stand-up comedian, very good one, named Susan Seeger. And she arranged for me to be on an open mic night. And it was some crappy club slash bar deep in the valley somewhere. And there was a room with pool tables and there was a bar and there was like this other little room that sat maybe 40, 50 people. And this is where they did their stand-up comedy. And I was on the bill at 9.45. Open mic night started at 8 and went till like midnight. And it was completely filled. And everybody got five minutes. So think about how many people (laughs) are going for that brass ring doing five minutes of stand-up material. So I was scheduled for 9.45 and uh, arrived at 8, because I wanted to check out the other people. That episode, if you want to go back and hear it, is episode 29, and that's from July of 2017. Again, you can hear my entire stand-up act. And as I mentioned on that episode, I was really surprised by how terrible and how haphazard and sloppy 90% of these young comedians were. Way back when I was starting my writing career, and I was living in West Hollywood very close to the comedy store, I would just swing by the comedy store a couple of times uh, a week, and you got a chance to see Letterman and Leno and... Gary Shandling and 15 other guys, Tom Dreesen, 20 other guys. And they're all working on their act, and they're all refining and changing jokes and adjusting some wording, and, you know, they're really, really honing in on their act. And these guys, for the most part, would just get up there and just bullshit. It was just, okay, blah, 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 blah. All right, uh, you people didn't like uh, the penguin jokes. And so, all right, no more penguin jokes. How much time do I have? Uh, let's see. Uh, all right, all right, I could do some masturbation jokes. You guys want to hear some masturbation jokes? Cause this was kind of the level of most of the comics. So I came on and, and I had my prepared five minutes. And the first thing that happened when I walked out onto the stage was the look From the audience, and there were like maybe 30, 35 people there at the most. But (laughs) they looked at me like, What is grandpa doing here? And I began my shtick, and I was starting to get some chuckles and a few more chuckles. And eventually, I started getting laughs, and I had built to like a big punchline. And so by the end, I'm getting actual laughs. Again, you can go back to episode 29 if you so desire and hear it for yourself. And some of the comedians afterwards were saying, oh man, were you bit by the bug? Were you bit by the bug? Don't you just love it? It's like, no, no. (laughs) This is it one and done. It's like Ted Williams last at bat was a home run and he retired. So that was it. And I had never planned to go and do another stand-up routine. And recently, I was having lunch with Wendy Liebman, who was a guest on this podcast just a few weeks ago. And she was putting together a show at uh, a club in Burbank called Flappers, which is a you know, one of those big-time comedy clubs like the Comedy Store or the Laugh Factory or the Improv. You know, they were, you know, that A-list comedy clubs that seated in their main room, a hundred or so, whatever. And she was putting together this program, and she had six professional comics. These are people who have been on jimmy kimmel and other late night shows and have had specials and you know i mean they're they're professional comics and i don't know why when wendy said why don't you do it again come on it'll be fun you you know I go, oh god i don't know if i want to do this and she said well think about it and let me know this was about six weeks ago and I thought about it, and I, I don't know why. Um, I was in New York at the time, and I thought, oh, okay, what the hell, I'll I'll give it a shot. I figure, as opposed to just being like one of 80 guys doing an open mic night, that at least this was uh, a real comedy show. And it was in a real club, and there was going to be... Uh, real audience. Not there to see me, certainly, but a real audience. So I said, yes, I agreed to do it. Five seconds afterwards, I'm going, what did I do that for? Am I nuts? But I hung in there and I came up with with my act. I said to Wendy, how much material do I need? And she said, eight to 10 minutes. Like, okay, I guess I can come up with eight to ten minutes. What I decided to do, instead of just working on a standard routine, I figured, you know what? I'm not used to writing this material. The comics that I'm going to be on the bill with are all seasoned veterans. Whatever joke they're going to tell, they have told 40 times in other venues they're polished they've done this for years i'm coming in only my second time and if i try to sound like them or I try to do material like them i think it is only going to point out even more how amateurish i am in comparison to them so i thought okay instead I'm just going to tell stories. And I decided I'll tell some colorful stories about my baseball announcing career. And I put together probably six or seven stories that I came up with and whittled that down to where it could be 10 minutes or so. And I figured, okay, that's That's what I'm going to do. I mentioned earlier a comedian named Danny Thomas. If you know Danny Thomas, again, you are of a certain age, and you probably know Danny Thomas not so much for being a stand-up comedian, but for being uh, an actor. For many years, he was the star of Make Room for Daddy, which then became the Danny Thomas Show. And it was a sitcom that was on, I think, a couple of networks. I think it started NBC and went on to CBS. But it lasted for like seven, eight seasons. It was a very popular sitcom in the late 50s, early 60s. And it was Danny Thomas Company that also produced such shows as The Dick Van Dyke Show and The Andy Griffith Show. So yeah he could give you a change for a ten, needless to say, but his stand up act was stories, and I got a chance to see him as I mentioned in las Vegas, and I found it very unique and interesting, so he wasn't just okay. What do you think about airline food today, huh? Oh my God. You know, so I'm flying in a plane and you know, you know it's how the, the portions are so small. I you know, ugh. I I hate those kind of jokes. And he would just tell stories that would have big punchlines. And I'm thinking to myself, why don't more people do this? And the answer is quite simple. You have to be willing to go 30 seconds or 40 seconds without a laugh. You have to be willing to lay out this story and hope for a big punchline. Now, along the way, you can throw in, you know, little jokes to move it along. But basically, the idea is you are building to one punchline, which is very different from a routine where it's just joke, 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 joke. When those work, they're, they're killers, okay? You're, you're, you're just laughing nonstop for 10 minutes. You're not going to laugh nonstop when a guy is just telling stories. But I figured, number one, I'm not going to pretend to be, a seasoned stand-up comic. And number two, I was assured that it was a different style and different material, that nobody else was going to do this material. And sure enough, through the course of the night, there were a number of topics that two or three of the comedians all touched upon. So for mine... It, I, nobody was coming anywhere near this subject matter. So that's what I had planned to do. And I had one rehearsal, rehearsal, and I just did it out loud with a stopwatch and got it down to seven minutes. And uh, I said to Wendy, now, what happens if I go over? Because I know with a lot of these open mic nights... They give you a light at like four minutes and 30 seconds. And then at five minutes, they cut you off. I mean, the music starts or the lights go down, whatever. They cut you off. I said, I'm building a story to the end. So if you cut me off, you lose my punchline. She said, no, you can go over a little bit. I said, it's not going to be... 20 minutes (laughs) but it might get close to 10 it was 7 when I rehearsed it but it might get close to 10 and she said fine so I show up this was Thursday night June 8th so I show up the uh, show's supposed to start at 8 and I get there around quarter of 7 and I'm in the green room and I meet the other comics uh, oh, very nice. And Wendy says, oh, and we have a special guest who's going to be joining us. I know. Oh. okay, whatever. So the program was rearranged a little bit. And I was surprised that she had me near the end. I was the second to the last. I figured, well, she put me on first before all of the good people. But no, she put me on later. There were six comics and me, make it seven, and then Special Guest. And Special Guest was slotted, it was, he was slotted, I think, five. And I was seven. Special Guest was John Mulaney. <laughs> like, holy shit. I got to go on after John Mullaney. John Mulaney? John did 20 minutes, all new stuff. It's brilliant. It's just, it's just great stuff. I, I just, I'm in awe of, of John Mulaney. But now, <laughs> like 10, 15 minutes later, I had to go up and do my act. Well, it was recorded. And what I am going to do for you now is play, again, in its entirety, unedited, this was my stand-up routine on Thursday night, June 8th. See what you think. Please welcome Ken Levine. Woo! Seven more comedians to go. Uh, Thank you very much. If the name sounds a little familiar to some of you, it's because I was also the host of Dodger Talk on KBC for eight years. And. Oh, Dodgers! Yes. You know, I was watching the January 6th insurrection and the angry mob storming the Capitol, and I thought, oh, my God, these are my Dodger Talk callers. (laughs) I call it one (laughs) place. paying Cody (laughs) Bellinger. But uh, primarily I did baseball play-by-play, and as Wendy mentioned, I was also a TV writer, and I did all of this at the same time. And you're wondering, how could I do that? Well, we go out on strike a lot. <laughs> but the first thing, it's like I did three years in the minors, and then I made it to the majors in 1991, broadcasting for the Baltimore Orioles. And the first question everybody says is, uh, what's your home run call? And I didn't have a home run call in the minors, but I figured, you know, now that I'm in the big time and... my partner was John Miller, who's a Hall of Fame broadcaster, and I figured, well, okay, I have to have a home run call. And so I came up with, ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building. Okay? All right. I tried it the first week, a couple of times, sounded okay. That's week two, and we're in Milwaukee, and I'm on the air. Cal Ripken is at the plate. hits a long drive and this was my call there's a long drive to deep right field away oh, back there ladies and gentlemen elvis is off the top of the wall <laughs> my partner just goes <laughs> yeah. uh, which is not as bad as there was a, a call John Gordon, who was a broadcaster for the Minnesota Twins for many years, and his signature home run call was touch 'em all, Kirby Puckett or <laughs> Kent Herbeck or whoever it was. And he's calling a home run and he forgets who hit it. <laughs> Honest to God, this was his call. There's a drive to deep left field, touch 'em all, baseball man. <laughs> It's a true story. Everything I'm going to tell you tonight is is true. You do you meet some characters. When I was in the minors, there was a guy. We'll just call him Larry, who was the announcer for Louisville. He eventually was fired and replaced by some guy named Joe Buck. But uh, this guy was like a throwback. This was like a typical call, from Larry. It goes, there's a drive to deep right field bouncing off the Pepsi Cola sign. And wouldn't an ice cold Pepsi taste good right about now? And he's safe with the double. Okay. Again, true story. So Louisville is in Des Moines to play the Des Moines Cubs. And Sec Taylor Stadium there, you had the visiting broadcasters right next to where the reporters sat. And one day, Larry met some woman in the morning and they arranged a date that night at 11 o'clock at the hotel bar. Well, it's now 10.30 and the game is dragging on and they're only going into the eighth inning. So as the two teams are exchanging sides, the reporters start hearing, "And Smith up! First pitch, ground ball to second, over to first, one away. Now Johnson coming up here. There's a ground ball to third, over to first, and wow, two quick outs. He's making up the (laughs) play-by-play. Literally just making up the play-by-play. 10:45. The pitcher is actually still doing warm-up tosses. He's gone. <laughs> He's gone. My favorite character in the big leagues. Uh, for five years, I broadcast for the Seattle Mariners. Did not get to the World Series, uh, but Lou Pinella was our manager. And whenever we would go out on the road after ball games, usually Lou would get drinks with me and my partner, Dave Niehaus. And one night, we're in Detroit, and we had a pitcher that we had just brought up named Jeff Nelson, and he proved to be a very good pitcher. He was a mainstay with the Yankees for quite some time, but he was very erratic when he started, and he cost us a couple of games, including the one that night. And Lou Pinella said to me and Dave, if you see me bring Jeff Nelson into a game in the 8th or ninth <laughs> inning with the game still on the line, I will give you both blowjobs. <laughs> now it's two months later. <laughs> We're in Minnesota. We're in the Metrodome. It's the ninth inning. Tie ball game. Lou goes out to the mound and he calls on Jeff Nelson. As he is walking back From the mound to the dugout True story Lou looks up at the booth And he goes <laughs> Love Lou Pinella." Now my, my, my best home run call You have to go back to my very first year In the minors In Syracuse and we were on a terrible radio station. It was like 30 watts at 1590. And literally, when they would go to the nighttime pattern, the people on the third base side of the stadium could no longer hear the station. <laughs> it, it, was, it was that bad. And the fans would complain, and to try to save face, I started saying that we were really just the flagship station of the Worldwide Syracuse Chiefs Radio Network. (laughs) And I started talking about this on the air. And, you know, I would say, well... We're on in the Imperial Palace in Bhutan tonight. And uh we just got some new affiliate uh in Liechtenstein. Wanna say hi to all the folks in Liechtenstein. And meanwhile every half hour I would pause for station identification on the worldwide Syracuse Chiefs Radio Network. Allie Alan and I, Faye and Phil and part of Syracuse. And we had a third baseman named Norm Tanucci, sweet kid from Connecticut. Couldn't hit a lick. Every night he's up there and it's over three, over four, over five with three strikeouts. And it's very difficult because every time he came to the plate, you know, you're introducing him and you got to say something about the guy. And it's like, well, Norman's not had a hit since the second night of Passover. (laughs) uh, So to avoid that, I started making up this story that Norm was a folk hero in Borneo, Borneo was one of our affiliates. And I'm making up the story about how, oh my God, uh, his dad parachuted in Uh, Behind enemy lines in World War II And saved the country And 99% of the male babies And 97% of the female babies In Borneo were named Norm (laughs) The the currency is in Tannuches Meanwhile, 0 for 4 0 for 4, you know, that that kind of thing So one night we're in Oklahoma City And he gets a base hit And I come on When he Has his next at bat And I reference it and said to people, you know, back home are really excited. And then the next pitch, he just smokes. And this is my home run call, word for word. (laughs) That ball is belted to deep left field. Steve Kemp back to the track, to the wall. No school tomorrow in Borneo. (laughs) Thank you very much. okay there you go now there's one joke there that obviously was a sight gag just assume that lupinella made a rather obscene gesture which was all the funnier in the fact that he did it in front of 50,000 people in the Metrodome. So that was my stand-up. Am I going to do this again? Uh, Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Was I bitten by the bug? No. (laughs) No, not at all. I still don't totally get the attraction of standing up in front of a Hundred Strangers, and just trying to make them laugh. But I will say, it was kind of fun when I was up there, and it was working. Now, if the jokes didn't work, oh, it would have been the longest ten minutes of my life. And that is this week on Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, Bruce and Jason Miller... If you would like to contact me, Hollywoodlevine at Outlook.com is my email address, Hollywoodlevine at Outlook.com. I am also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Thanks so much for listening and thanks to Wendy Liebman for having more faith in me than certainly I had in myself. And uh, and thanks to you for listening. Okay, we'll see you next week. Bye. Hollywood and the Vine